You're listening to another episode of the Grace Matters podcast, conversations establishing believers in the truth. Grace Matters is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. You're about to hear a panel discussion featuring three of our members as we converse about the Christian and mental health. Thankfully, we had some submitted questions that help us clarify what does mental health even mean? What are the relationships between psychology, therapy, biblical counseling, and the regular believer? Hopefully you will enjoy this conversation between our three members and Neil Manning and I as we moderate. And we'll also be having supplemental podcasts with each of these guests and a few others in our community so that we can really get our heads around what it means to be mentally healthy. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. These are some of the many words that Proverbs and, in fact, all of Scripture has to say about the relationship of the disposition of the heart and the body. And that becomes increasingly important as we think about uh, the current um, awareness, the growing awareness of issues like loneliness, depression, even suicide, not only among unbelievers, but Christians as well. And not just any Christians, but you, you can think of, if you hit the, the news headlines, high-profile pastors and theologians who are either themselves or a family member dealing with loneliness, depression, uh, and suicide. So that's what we want to do tonight is kind of explore those grounds, uh, maybe find biblical and um, holistic ways, uh, questions. What should we be asking? How can we identify these things in ourselves? How can we come alongside someone else and um, impart the peace of God with them? So before we get started, let me, get, let me pray for us, and then I'll hand it over to Dr. Calvert. Father God, thank you for drawing us close to you. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. I pray that uh, this conversation would, would be um, edifying to one another and honoring to you. I pray that you would uh, guide our thoughts and conversation. Let it be pleasing and helpful to all those he- who hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is David. I am on staff at Grace Community Church as pastor for Creative Arts. And uh, just so you know, we are recording this for podcasts, and we'll be supplementing this with even more conversations. But uh, I've been privileged to participate in Grace Matters, kind of helping make things happen on that creative end of things. Uh, Neil Manning, one of our elders, is who opened our evening. He is the brains behind Grace Matters and kind of the driving force to help stir these conversations. And so we want to uh, be a resource for our local church and other local churches in, in providing these conversations that we've had thus far and the ones that we'll have going into this calendar year. Tonight, we're speaking specifically about uh, the Christian and mental health. So joining us are three members of Grace Community Church. As our church continues to grow, we sometimes can forget of all the resources that we have, or in some cases, not even know about them. And so we also want to let this be a forum for these members uh, to express the things that God has gifted them to do and talk through some of these issues. So first, we have Ben McGuire, who has an MDiv in Christian Studies with a focus on uh, biblical counseling from Southern Seminary in Louisville. And then uh, right next to me is Dr. David Dermott, who is uh, a clinical psychologist, and he leads uh, Dunn Psychological Associates right in in Dunn. 
And then lastly, but not least, is Jamie Criswell, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and founder of Foundations Family Therapy, which is in Fuquay. So if you've never heard of these, uh, these resources or haven't met these folks, um, let this be an open door for you to meet them and get to know them, uh, especially as we get to know them through the course of the evening. So we have a couple significant goals as we think about um, these things. One of the main goals is to remove stigma. So through the course of tonight and the conversation that we're having, one of our goals is to remove the stigma. Um, Wow, Siri, I did not even say anything related to Siri, and that picked that up. Let's see what Google has to say as well. But um, Is one of her answers the, Grace Matters? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in addition to Siri's recommendations, um, we want to remove uh, any of the negative things that tend to be associated. So related to that, I'll, I'll post a question on uh, Slido. So if you saw that slide as you came in, there's a way to post some questions to us. And um, we'll have a couple polls that you can interact with on your mobile device if you've pulled those up. Um, and I'll flash that again in a second. Uh, but in addition to that, we want to define terms. And so there's, there's a lot of potential confusion, um, which then can cause us to just not engage. Or people will conflate terms that are not supposed to be used interchangeably. And so in order to address a lot of those things, those are the other main goal we have for tonight, is to make sure that we are clearly defining the terms that we're using. Some of those terms include uh, biblical counseling, faith-based therapy, clinical psychology, what do we mean by these things? Well, our, our panel will help clarify these things. Some of the other terms that you'll hear kind of tossed around through the course of these conversations are therapy, counseling, psychiatry, faith-based, psychology, pastoral, licensed, certified, insurance. And all these things can be really overwhelming when you hear them all slam at you at the same time. Or if you are in the midst of uh, a crisis and you're having to then consider what all these things might mean. And so uh, these are terms that we'll be wrestling with and thinking through. So uh, I'm going to hand it over first uh, to Ben and ask Ben, what is biblical counseling? Thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I don't know if you, if we have the definition uh, available to to show on the screen or not? Um, we do. Th- that might be really helpful. And so, in short, uh, I think w- when you consider what does it mean to be counseled, uh, you know, we we have the three of us haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I think beginning there with the idea of w- when I have a problem or I have questions or there are things I'm dealing with that I don't know how to answer. And I'm going to someone else for help. That's maybe at the most basic foundational uh, idea of I'm seeking counsel. I'm seeking wisdom. You know, going to someone that I trust who may, that I believe will have answers to those problems or questions or the hardships uh, in life. And so biblical counseling, um, I'm going to track with that, a spirit-empowered process of one Christian coming alongside another with words of encouragement, admonition, comfort, and help, drawn from Scripture and presented in the context of relationship towards both God and man. 
The goal of this counseling is that the brother or sister in need of spiritual counsel would grow in his understanding of how the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to every area of his life, directly and indirectly, and that he would respond by God's grace, based upon his union in Christ, to that truth in grateful obedience. So again, the imperatives of Scripture. You know, this is who you are. This is what I've called you to do. In every circumstance, to the building up of the church, the evangelization of the lost, and all for the glory of God. So it's really long, right? Um, but I think it gets at the heart of of biblical counseling that Scripture, in in God's grace to us, He has given us a sufficient source of truth for life, and the questions that we have are addressed there. And so biblical counseling, I think at its at its root and at its heart, would see in, in Scripture the sufficiency for what we need for our problems. I mean, that sounds like something that every believer could or should be doing? I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I would say yes, that as believers, with equipping, with training, you know, just like in, in a lot of our areas of life, if I want to be... You know, a better Bible study leader. You know, I might go to training uh, to be equipped and how to do those things better. And I think as a counselor, I can, uh, as a believer, can be trained and equipped and would be engaging in the lives of the people around me as a follower of Christ. So one of the resources that uh, has been made available recently that some members of Grace are aware of is uh, South Wake Bible Institute. This last semester, we had a course that was taught by Dr. Dan Clement at Triangle Community Church. And the course was not titled Biblical Counseling, but that was the thrust of of the course, was to share the shepherding and help the hurting. Um, The goal at Triangle has been, and, and of that course, was to equip believers uh, to share the shepherding that uh, is the responsibility of elders in a local church, but that uh, many people can be walking with one another in discipleship. And in those ways, and in that context of relationships, like you mentioned in this definition, uh, provide pastoral and biblical counsel. So why why study it, though, at, at, a, at a seminary? Yeah. If or, or why get certified. Or why get, what does even certification yeah, mean? Yeah, so I think you, you used a good, a good phrase there, discipleship. I think a lot of discipleship... Well, I think discipleship is counseling, and counseling is discipleship. Uh, again, at, at its root, its root level, and just like sharing our faith, you know, I think we all have uh, a responsibility as believers. You know that that we engage in the lives of the people around us. That that as friends, as parents, as spouses, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would care for those who have problems, who are hurting. Uh, and, and step into those the those voids that they sense or that they feel deeply, and they just don't know where do I go for help. Even if I, even if they think I want to run to the, I want I want help from the Bible, but I don't know how to how to think. I don't, I don't know where to, to get that. But having someone come alongside. Um, but again, at the same time, some. Uh, just like we have those who are professional, I say professionals in, in quotations in okay. ministry, you know, those who are called into full time vocational work of of the gospel. I think there are some who, in the same regard with counseling, will, will want and will seek more um, formal equipping or training or certification. In okay. that, 
And so to be better equipped and to engage full time uh, in and maybe feel more equipped to delve into some of the deeper problems that people experience. Okay. Um, we'll give more opportunity for Ben to give some more illustrations and examples in a little bit. Um, I do want to point out, we have had a few folks respond to that Slido question that I did just throw up there, which was, uh, have you encountered uh, a stigma, Siri? Uh, and, and we've had half and half, um, which is better than I would have anticipated. Uh, but of course, not everybody on, oh, we have one just, we bumped it now. We've, we've experienced more of a negative stigma than not. And so that's something to be mindful of as believers um, and as we consider the role of biblical counseling in, um, in kind of first level of response and, and pervasive response to all the circumstances of life, including the ones that are going to weigh on um, us most deeply emotionally and spiritually and in some cases uh, have significant impact on our mental health. So I'm going to swap questions real quick as we, so as you'll see on Slido, this is related to um, these terms I kind of threw all up at the same time. If there are particular terms that you hear any of us say that you'd like us to better define, throw those on there so that we can get to those. Uh, but I would like to hear, Jamie, um, what is it that you do at Foundations Family Therapy and how, how would you define therapy and counseling and and the the space that Foundations Family Therapy navigates. Yeah, so at Foundations, um, we have we have eight therapists. Actually, we're in, in Raleigh and Fuquay, but um, we're kind of divided. There's about half MFTs um, and then some um, LPCs or licensed professional counselors. Actually, they just got a new title. It's like LMHC, some other letters. Anyway, basically the same thing. Um, and then LCSWs, licensed clinical social workers. Um, all of our staff identify as Christian, but what we do is we offer what we call faith-based therapy. And so that's one of those terms that also gets sort of interchanged and thrown out there. Part of that is because we didn't want to exclude people that didn't identify as Christian or maybe have had bad experiences with a church relationship. Um, we felt like we could we could still reach them and it could still be part of our, our calling and our ministry, but we didn't want to set ourselves out as just doing biblical counseling or calling ourselves biblical counselors. The other piece of that is none of us have been to seminary or have certifications as Christian counselors or anything like that. Um, so what we do is we, we offer sort of an integration um, based on where the client's at and what they, what they need and what their beliefs are. And that starts in the beginning. When they come in, we do an assessment, um, which any clinical therapist that has a license would do. Um, and part of that is looking at, um, is there a diagnosis, especially if we're billing insurance, which we'll probably dive into a little bit. Um, but we're also looking at history and just sort of what brought them in, where things are at, support systems. Um, we always look at the biopsychosocial spiritual. Um, and so it, as part of that, we're getting their faith background. So what does faith mean to you? Do you have a, a faith community that you're involved in? Um, do you read the Bible? Do you pray? Is it helpful? Um, do you believe in God? Who is God? Right? Like, who is God to you? And then we sort of start to delve in a little bit deeper as to what part of that is important to you and how much of that do you want incorporated into your sessions? 
Um, and that may mean that they want us to pull out scripture and reference it, and then we'll, we will do that, and we ask them which, which um, version of the Bible they may use, if they have one that they're really particular to. Um, we may pray with them in session if they would like for us to do that. Um, we in, in doing that, again, we, we meet them where they're at, but we never push our beliefs onto them. So usually what I would say as a therapist is I'm a Christian and that influences my worldview and it's obviously going to impact my therapy to that extent, but I will only integrate this as much as you're comfortable with. Um, and so if they do want us to use scripture, a lot of times what that looks like is me opening the Bible and saying, you know, there's a couple of verses in Matthew that, uh, you know, I think speak to what you're talking about. Do you want to look at those? And we may read them out loud. And then I would ask, you know, how, how do you interpret that? Or, or how do you apply that? Um, it may just, you know, or, or if they don't want scripture at all, it may be more general terms. Like, where do you see God in this for you? Or, um, you know, if it's something that they're struggling with that they're doing that may, um, that may be clearly laid out as something biblical that is not recommended, then we might just say, you know, how do you reconcile that with your faith? Um, and, let, and let them really guide that conversation. What is the significance of the licensure that you mentioned? So what does being licensed have to do with anything? So licensure basically is... Testing that you've gotten the amount of education um, that is required and that okay. you've been supervised to do in therapy for a set number of hours. So for okay. LMFTs, we have to have 1,500 face-to-face hours underneath supervision. Um, and then you're basically governed by a licensing board. So they set your ethics code and they set a, a standard for rules and how you conduct yourself as a therapist and a professional. So what uh, what would be the ideal relationship between in someone providing therapy in your practice and a local church, like what, what, what do you des- desire to see from someone who comes in uh, for, for meetings and like, what would that relationship with a local church look like in an ideal situation? Yeah. So we actually have a couple of relationships with local churches in Fuquay um, that we've met with their pastors. They've come to know the therapist and, um, and, and trust the therapist. And so they will set up, um, a good referral relationship for the most part. So they may um, find someone in that is in their church that's needing help that the pastor feels like this is sort of beyond what, what I can do. Um, and then they would give them our information. They would contact us. So part of that licensure piece is anything that we do with a client is confidential and it's protected underneath that. So if we talk to a pastor or anyone at their church, there has to be a release of information signed. So the client would have Mm. to give us permission to exchange that information, even if the pastor referred them, even if the church is paying for it. Um, And so we have all of those situations. But oftentimes people are pretty open to it. And then we would contact the pastor. We would um, get them involved as much as necessary or needed. That would be helpful. So what... If you had to ballpark, like what are the what's the most common or one of the most common uh, reasons that someone would come to to foundations? Hmm, that's tough. Um, I think the the primary things that we see on an individual level are anxiety and depression. Um, on a couple level, it's marital issues, usually communication. I say in air quotes, um, and. Then for children or families, it's um, not getting along or behavioral problems or um, we've we've recently seen some identity types of stuff coming up and how that conflicts with faith and what the church is saying and and some of some things like that. Hmm. 
So, David, you practice clinical psychology. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, especially in relationship to all the terms we've already used. We've used counseling. Uh, we've used therapy, licensure, certification. What, so what does a clinical psychologist do? Well, the word practice is <clears throat> sort of interesting to me. It means that we're never there, right? We have, to, <laughs> we have to keep practicing. We have to keep expanding our knowledge, our experience, our, our insight so that we can be a dynamic you know, source of therapy for our, our, our clients. Um, the, the term clinical sometimes throws people. Clinical psychology, and by the way, psychology used to be known as the study of the soul. That's how the word began. Hmm. But of course, we've differentiated quite a bit yep. since then. But psychology is the study of human behavior and emotion um, and, and, and thought and how all that comes together uh, in our life. Um, there can be many forms of psychology. There's clinical psychology, uh, social psychology, experimental, industrial, organizational psychology. Um, there, there's a, a bunch of different types of psychology, and each one of those practices in, in a different setting. But clinical and counseling psychology deal directly um, with individuals on their behavior, requires licensure, uh, to practice, uh, and along with all the certification hours and um, uh, supervision that we've just talked about. But clinical psychology um, is also including uh, the medical parts of, of, of us. Um, I've worked in hospitals. Um, I've done clinical research on medications. Um, been on a team that created two uh, medicines for psychiatry, um, use of um, a certain type of medicine for schizophrenia. Um, and, um, but clinical psychology uh, and counseling psychology is the two types that you would go to if you wanted to get help with something within your family or uh, yourself individually. Um, and clinical tends to have a little bit more interest in the medical model, which is sort of the medical way of looking at things with um, the fact that you're diagnosed that along with your diagnosis comes a set of sort of prescribed uh, lists of symptoms that you may have if you have that diagnosis, um, prognosis. You know, it's more treatment-based. Um, yeah. uh, for example, the word counseling, you can be an attorney and be a counselor, yeah, right? Yeah. You can be a biblical counselor. You can be an accountant counselor. Yeah. Um, so counseling is trying to work on problems with the person, but... When you get into the term therapy, you're trying to do some healing in there. Okay. So clinical psychology involves trying to heal um, with somebody uh, a diagnosis um, or a problem that um, isn't just getting through a little tough spot, but maybe a diagnosed issue that um, you know, involves um, dimensions of treatment. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Jamie mentioned some of the, the terminology fits for them is, is faith-based, which gives them space to navigate um, and interact with uh, clients in a certain way. What is it like to practice clinical psychology as a Christian? Okay. Well, if you come to my clinic, um, you're going to walk in the front door, and you're likely to hear Christian music, unless I happen to be on one of the internet channels that plays the same songs over and over, you know, the same 10 songs. And then I have to admit, it goes over to secular music for a while. <laughs> but... Um, you're going to see a Bible on the table in my waiting room. 
You're going to see some Christian magazines there and some Christian children's books. Um, You're going to see a sign on the wall saying that you're in the midst of Christian therapists. And please let us know how that affects you and if, if you're comfortable with that. So people will know that we are Christians by what we have around us. Okay. And then uh, a lot of times I'll get a, a referral from somebody, somebody who says, are you a Christian? They may not say, do you provide Christian therapy? Mm-hmm. But they say, it's important that I, I have a therapist who's a Christian. Okay. And, of course, we, we talk about that. Um, we have um, information provided in writing that they consent to. Um, I believe it's my responsibility and my honor to tell them that I'm a Christian therapist. Um, but I have not been to seminary. I'm not um, a pastor, and I want them to know that I'm not offering to do that level. I'm, I'm offering to bring God and their faith into the basis of our, our, of our treatment and uh, find it's very, very helpful to do so that. So what would be the ideal relationship with a local church for someone coming to Dunn Psychological Associates? Sure. What would you want to see there? Absolutely. Sometimes what I want to see isn't what we do see, oh, but the ideal yeah. relationship. Um, there's several churches in Dunn that have funds that will assist hmm. in providing um, necessary treatment for members who may not have uh, the fortune to have health insurance that covers it. So uh, for a while I was getting um, like 10 referrals a month from one church that had a very, uh, you know, wonderful grant um, for that. And as that ran hmm. out, I said, well, how about I'll cover half and your grant covers half. And then their grant ran out. And so I just saw them. Um, so my relationship with our church here is if there's a need in our community, there's no insurance, you still come and you'll be helped. If you have insurance, we'll file your insurance and accept it to the degree that, um, that they pay for that. And if we're allowed to, we can waive copayment if we need to. Sometimes some insurances you're not allowed to or you violate your contract with them. I mean, it sounds hmm. weird yeah. how they would say, you can help, but don't help that much, you know. But if I were to... No, it's good to know. It's helpful yeah. to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Um, so it sound, So one of the things I'm, I'm hearing in, in some ways is that, uh, and that I, I anticipated as well, is that biblical counsel um, is kind of a pervasive thing that we should be walking in, in discipleship. And as our church has you know, such an important model of home group relationships and uh, seeing people in contexts of discipleship, we are hopefully seeing biblical counsel happen anyways. We definitely could stand to, to continue to learn more about what that means and what that looks like, um, how to bring the scripture to bear in our relationships to provide wisdom and see transformation. Um, but then in, in Foundation's family therapy, the, um, the, the relationship issues and communication issues. But again, you would uh, love to see like those folks coming from a community, a, a local church that is providing biblical, biblical counsel in addition to what's happening there. And similarly, like to see churches that are providing biblical counsel and um, as necessary coming to see you. And then those funds that are available, that's really cool uh, picture that you've given there as well. Um, I do think it could be helpful to, to hear some illustrations to kind of see these things at, at work in our minds. So 
Then what is like, was there an illustration you remember from courses or from books that you've read or even from a relationship that you've had? So Ben is on staff with Crew um, and he and his wife um, have been working with college students for a long time. I'm not going to betray ages, but uh, a long time. And and in those relationships, I'm sure that Ben, you've brought the Bible to bear and, and giving counsel to the students that you're training. So is there an example you can think of um, of biblical counsel being utilized uh, to see lives changed? It's okay to say it's been 20 years. <laughs> okay. So. You said it, not me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, you know, in, in those in those regular relationships, especially while we were on campus full time, you know, since our transition here, we've had a had a different role. Um, but in those ongoing relationships with students, as you walk alongside someone in life, and they begin to open up, or you begin to notice, I think even some of the issues that they're working through, uh, and it doesn't have to be a sin issue. Right. It could just be the things in life that happen, you know, loss, grief, death. Um, but often, so I, I don't want to I want to be careful how I paint this, because I think there, there can be assumptions that can be made. It's like, well, everything you see is always a, the result of a sin. And so I want to be I want to I want to be very clear in that that's that's not a true view of how biblical counseling right. sees the world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, oh, who here's sends, this. Who sends Jesus, this guy or his yeah. dad? Like, mm, exactly. And so I want to be very clear. That's not the, uh, that's not the mindset that I would take or a biblical counselor would take. Like, right. You have a problem. It must be your fault. But the reality is as you in work with people and as you engage with people, there are often issues that are rising to the surface that may be sin issues, and I think that that's a that's a great place to enter in, uh, and and to walk alongside someone. Perhaps let's say uh, you know I think something that's really common that uh, conversations that I had in in working with guys, college guys on campus, whether it was an addiction to pornography, for instance. I think it's a great example, and beginning a conversation of figuring out what what is this what's going on here you know yes this is a this is an issue in your life you know you are looking at porn on the internet but there's more happening underneath yeah. this than is represented by what's coming out on the surface yep and so i think being able to ask questions to bring scripture to bear on the heart desires that are underneath, you know, what are the things that you're wanting that you're not getting? And the result is this in your life. You're responding in an unbiblical, ungodly way to that. Or what do you desire that you, that you don't have? And when you don't have it, how, how are you responding to that? Um, I think anxiety is is another great example. You know, as you're dealing in conversations with students and they're panicking over grades or girlfriends or boyfriends or um, future and, and, and they're asking these questions and there, there's anxiety that, that's present in their life. It's like, okay, let's, let's talk about how the Bible speaks into this. How does the gospel change how you are viewing your life right now? 
And it's an ongoing conversation. It's not a, oh, well, here's this Bible verse. You shouldn't, now you know the truth, you know, go forth and sin no more kind of thing. It's yeah. a, it's an ongoing conversation and working with someone in, in their heart and, and the roots that are there. The So again, in, in situations like this, the sin that's beneath the sin, okay, you're responding with, with fear and anxiety. What's going on below that? What's, what's driving that, that fear and that anxiety or your response is to, um, Again, you know, I, I can't. I, it's just so common, you know. I think not just on a college campus, but just in life of an, an addiction to something like pornography. It's what's going on there that is driving this behavior? Because it's not just about changing behavior for someone. It's it's helping them to see, you know, there are things happening spiritually, internally, yep. and and the Bible speaks to that. And we should go there, you know, as an act of faith and believe, you know, this is true. And how does it redirect us? Again, it's not about just changing someone's behavior, but it's that if you look in, you know, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, this idea of the putting off and the putting on or the putting to death and the putting on, it's... It's a transfer. It's a transformation in the power of the Holy Spirit yep. to to not just change behavior, but to change desire, to change attitude, to change thought, to change belief. Ultimately, yeah. And so I think that's probably you know, the most significant ways as I've as I've worked with people, you know, for the last ten years with you know a, a biblical counseling mindset. That was my first exposure was ten years ago in seminary, and and beginning to see that. Yeah, the Bible really does talk about all the problems that we experience, and we can trust that, and that's a great place to go and to believe that, yeah, I've got an issue, and a lot of my issues, sometimes they're very they're physical, right? right. There are things that are happening that are affecting me and, and my view of the world around me, um, but often a lot of my issues are emotional, spiritual uh, and and the Bible speaks to those, yep. and we can we can trust that. So, Jamie, what would be uh, an example of that you've seen transformation uh, in uh, in a situation? And you can frame it however you want, but maybe you know even one that's occurred at foundations, like something that is a client that you've met with or that you know of who has seen change, and and how did that work? Um, yeah, that was a, a tough one. I had to give some thought to that because there's um, quite a few, unfortunately. Um, but one that stood out to me was a couple that I worked with for um, about a year, maybe a little over a year. Not that all therapy is that long. It's certainly not. But um, this one was a bit complicated. Um, they they came in and they both during that assessment sort of said what a lot of people say. Yeah, we believe in God. We haven't been to church in a while, but you know, we believe God exists and we believe in Jesus. Okay. So that's sort of where we start. Right. And they're like, you can incorporate a little bit, but we don't really, we're not reading the Bible right now. We don't want any, anything like that. So, okay. Um, and so we proceeded with couples therapy, um, using a model that I always use emotionally focused therapy. Um, and they, throughout that process, initially they came in because of some significant, um, 
like uh, non-disclosure or disclosure that ended up being a lie. There was, it wasn't infidelity or an affair, but it was something pretty significant right before they got married. After they um, were married, then the wife found out, and so she felt very betrayed um, and had a, a past history. They had both been – this is their second marriage, so – um, so a lot of stuff coming in from from the past experiences as well. But what was so transformational to me that I saw, and, I, and the caveat here is that when I work with couples that are Christian and that are following closely, I find that the work is, um, I won't say easier, because it's always hard. Like therapy, is it's hard work for people, and I let them know that right up front. But um, but the hope is different. And so I always say to my clients that, like, I know that doesn't feel very hopeful right now, and I can hold that hope for you, and I can do that because of my faith. Um, but I find when the when the clients also have faith that it's a lot easier for them to have hope. Mm. Um, but this couple was very hopeless in the beginning. But um, through the process, they actually started going to a church, and um, both recommitted their lives to Christ. And But it didn't necessarily make therapy magically easier, right, or their relationship magically better. Um, but they came in one session, I'll never forget, it just sort of stands out. And it was a really rough session. We really weren't getting anywhere that they felt like they wanted to get that session. There was no way that we were going to tie it up in a neat bow, but we were kind of getting towards the end of our time. And um, just a lot of blame going back and forth and a lot of non-softening, we call it, or non-forgiveness, just not being in a good place to be able to be open to each other and vulnerable. And um, and I said, you know, guys, I was like, I don't know if you've heard of this group. And I said, but um, just can you just go home and listen to this song for me? Just listen to it. That's all I want you to do for homework this week. Just go home. It's Casting Crowns. It's called Broken Together. I was like, just go home and listen to it. And so they did. They came back in. And um, the wife came in the next week, and she was like, she's like, I listened to that song, and I just started crying. And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about that. So basically, if you guys haven't heard it, the song basically just acknowledges that we're all broken, right? We are all in need of a savior. Um, but that also, a lot of times in relationships and marriage, we have these really high expectations that we put on each other. And sometimes we just have to realize that we're, we're both broken people in a broken world, and we have to be able to accept that and be vulnerable with each other to be able to work out our differences. And between that and them, like I said, being in, in church and joining a small group, um, it it made the most difference in their counseling relationship and really opened up different avenues. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I dig that that local church connection played a role. Um, and, and, and obviously the gospel <laughs> played a significant role in seeing transformation there. So David, you have, David has a ton of stories. And so I may end up doing a supplemental podcast with just Dave, like go hang out with him uh, and, and get some of these stories. So if you can whittle it down, what is a, what is a, an example you could give? And of most seeing, of them are true. Well, I hope so. Uh, what's an example you could give of, uh, of seeing transformation okay. in, <clears throat> Well, a, a true one. I will use one of those. Okay. That's good. So um, I was just thinking while we were hearing, um, I got a referral from a physician um, about, um, about a 40-year-old woman who um, was thinking of committing suicide. And her decision uh, about that and the demand for her to do that would be if she got to um, the weight of 400 pounds. The problem was the first day that she came in, she was 399. So to sit with somebody who was that close because the distance between them and everybody else was 
insulated by tissue, right? They felt distance from God, from their families, um, couldn't even reach over and pet their dogs. Their dogs had to sleep on their body, okay? So um, we were initially struck by a very clinical reality that this woman may die. She also had a, a myriad of medical, physical problems that were associated with her weight. So we had to begin to work very quickly. So what's the priority when you have this demand that one more pound, now one more pound for somebody who weighs 399 is, could be two hours without even eating, you know. So um, we were in trouble. So um, in my assessment, I do ask their degree of faith in their life. And I was so happy to hear that she professed faith, that she did believe in God. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. She was saying all the right things, and I'm so happy. You know, I knew God was going to be with us, but I wanted her to know that, right? So... Um, over the next few months, by the way, she did go above 400, made it up to about 405. Um, but because she had a new contact, she felt the Lord was with her, um, that it was okay. But that was the last time she ever hit those numbers. Um, I will just tell you, and I'll tell you a little bit more about the process. She now weighs about 150. Okay. So she's, yeah, Man. 150. She's less than half of her weight when she got started. Um, she started to go back to her church. She's very, very active. She's very active in saving other people. Um, but the biggest thing on her was guilt. She had a lot of guilt about sexual matters, um, a lot of guilt about substance abuse. She um, was addicted to um, the bad stuff that you hear about um, pre in her previous life, she likes to think. Um, but we helped to integrate that previous life that she was avoiding and insulating herself away from. Um, in other words, it was her. But through her own forgiveness, um, that's another thing. She didn't feel God could forgive her. She felt she was beyond that point. So part of therapy was really to get her to understand she was not. And that hope, you know, that we're talking about. So that transformation, you know, led her to have more medical associations. She um, we got her involved a little bit better with her physician. Um, she did become a candidate for surgery. She had bariatric surgery. Um, it helped her lose all, a lot of weight. She quit smoking. Um, and in the middle of all this, right before they did um, the last surgery to remove excess skin, she um, was found to have a very serious heart block. And if we wouldn't have gone through this, it wouldn't have been diagnosed. And she was about ready to go. So we had to pause further surgery, take care of her heart problem. She had heart surgery, and um, um, she's about ready to have the last several pounds removed. She's probably going to be 120 after that. 
Um, and then we're going to work on our knees. But this whole time we've been working on her faith yep. and, 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 and her value as a person and forgiveness and self-acceptance. So That's great. There's, and there's, a, there's already a list of really good questions that have been posted from the folks who are here. I do want to hit just a couple things. And then we had a couple questions that Neil and I had developed, and then we'll roll through these. So first, I do have, for those of you who um, have been noticing, we did have a couple of terms we want to make sure we're really clear on. So first one was, uh, uh, is it how do you define counseling? How do we define therapy? And I really liked how um, we kind of have framed counsel in terms of, uh, providing wisdom, and in our case, as believers, biblical counsel would be biblical wisdom. So, seeking wisdom, as Proverbs calls us to do, anyways, and then applying it in our discipleship relationships. So, I think that's how we're generally using counseling here, and how we would use it as a church. Um, and then to further define, like pastoral counseling, I think that is something that for our church we would use that in terms of uh, the counsel you receive from our elders who are pastors, or our staff who are trained as pastors. It's a kind of counsel that in the case of you know, somebody like Pastor Brad, uh, you know, the wealth of experience and, and wisdom drawn from that experience and training comes to bear when Pastor Brad comes to meet with you. But our other elders have uh, similar wisdom and experience in different ways. And so uh, any of our elders who would provide a kind of counsel that would be biblical would also be considered pastoral in that way. Um, and so pastoral counseling is something that you would expect to receive as a member at Grace Community Church uh, from our shepherds. Um, but then therapy, I liked how David framed that in terms of a, a kind of conversation and relationship that pursues a kind of healing. And so is there any other way you would clarify that, Jamie, like using the word therapy as opposed to counseling? Is there something you would do to clarify therapy? No, I mean, I think that's a really good um really good way of looking at it. I guess the only thing I would add, and, and really it can even be, again, which makes it even more confusing, but for licensed professional counselors, I think sometimes just the, the differentiation is is more of the license than anything else, okay. than therapy versus counseling. Um, it's just the role that they're playing, um, and I, I would say probably the biggest difference is that, uh, again, going back to the ethics code, that the, the therapist has to maintain boundaries in the relationship, which look a lot different than maybe a biblical counseling type of relationship or discipleship type of relationship or pastoral counselor type of relationship. Yeah. So Ben, do you have any other thoughts about therapy counseling? Yeah. I was just curious. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on when you say healing, like how do you, how would you describe that? Mm. Cause I, cause I would say, from a biblical counseling perspective, there is a good amount of healing oh, that happens. And I know you're, I know you're not, uh, you're not diminishing that by any means. But so, how how would you differentiate the healing you're talking about compared to someone who's experienced healing and restoration in their walk with the Lord or in just in the the problems or issues that they're encountering? Right. I'm, I'm sort of trying to answer that based on if I didn't know anything about it. Like, again, a counselor. Um, it, it's what's so confusing out there is that it's used so, so broadly and widely. Of course, yeah. we could go further into it. But, yeah, anybody who's licensed as a counselor is a therapist, okay. right? Um, psychotherapy is really the technically the technical term for what we do. It's therapeutic. It's action um, we are designed to help with problems, but we are trained in the psychotherapeutic arts. 
if I did a progress note and sent it to Medicaid and it said counseling, <laughs> they won't pay for it. They said, what about psychotherapy? Okay. Oh, all of a sudden the magic word is done, but nothing different may have happened in the room. Yeah. So I want okay. you to know if you're going to a license, I'm also a licensed professional counselor. Yeah. So that speaks to the but, last yeah. uh, clarification as well. But what does licensed mean? What does certified mean? Right. And licensure, we have uh, state licensure boards that we have to take tests and be uh, allowed. We get a, we get a, you know, our license on, on the plaque and everything. And it says that we meet basic requirements such as our education and our internships, our our training, to provide that service. Now, certification, at least in psychology and counseling, is something you get maybe in addition to that. You can get national certification, for example, um, the National Board of Certified Counselors, I'm a part of that. You can get certified in cognitive behavioral. You can get certified in um, various aspects of psychotherapy. Um, that differentiates your training and maybe focuses your, 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 your efforts. So, but counseling in terms of mental health and psychotherapy yeah. are interchangeable. Um, and even counselors do psychotherapy when yeah. they're practicing. So I wouldn't be confused by that. So there is uh, certified biblical counselors available through Triangle Community Church. So what does that mean, Ben, then for, for a biblical counselor to be certified? Yeah, great. And so uh, thanks, too, for, I think, that explanation. I think it's just helpful for everyone to hear is, like, yes, we're all about healing. You're, you're talking in a pretty narrow sense in term, you know, when, in comparison to when it comes to therapy, you know, and diagnoses and things like that. So I think that, that's good. So for certification for a biblical counselor, I think it's, it's similar to what David and Jamie are describing, you know, one of the most uh, popular, I don't know if that's common, uh, recognizable perhaps, um, certifying boards, ACBC, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, uh, provides a pretty rigorous program for someone to be certified. You know, it's it's observations, it's practicums, it's exams, there's yeah. education, it's it's probably about a three-year process for the person who works on it from start to finish. The difference would be the licensing uh, from the state. You know, yeah, that that that's what would probably differentiate the biblical counseling movement from the more clinical aspects. Yeah. You know, biblical counselors aren't aren't going to take insurance and wouldn't be able to do that. Right. Um, but often, like at Triangle Community, it's offered for free. Yeah. Um, or at a very reduced rate, uh, if there's a, a practice that's out there. Um, so, and but at the same time, it also uh, doesn't have the oversight of, say, the state of North Carolina or the state of whatever. So, where there might not be the governing body there, the intent would be you have a certifying body, but the governing body. For all intents and purposes, should be the local church who is maintaining the authority over those counselors to make sure that what is being spoken is true and it's biblical and it it falls in line and it's not out of bounds and that there are appropriate relationships and there's it doesn't turn into 
these codependent uh, right. um, relationships between counselor and counselee. Yeah. And so the, the intent would be the local church is fully vested in the care of the people that are there and, and giving oversight to the counselors who are seeing that. And that, that would be true of Triangle. Yeah. So and the last one that is in the middle here is and we didn't really define this and we don't have a panelist who represents this, but what is a psychiatrist compared to psychologist, therapist, counselor? What, how, how do we define that? Sure. So I get this all the time, right? Uh, they call and they say, look, I need you to you know, manage my medication for me. I said, I'm sorry, you've come to the wrong place. Um, psychiatry is um, the practice of medicine that we bring to bear on um, psychological issues, mental health issues. So uh, a psychiatrist will go to med- medical school. Well, they'll first do their four years of undergraduate. Then they'll go to medical school, which is going to be four years plus. They will do um, rotations. They'll get to their psychiatry rotation, and they'll go, oh, I like this. (laughs) So they will specialize in the practice of medicine after they get their medical degree in the term of psychiatry, bringing medication to bear on behavioral issues, emotional issues. Um, So they study the psychiatry mental health part at the very tail end of their training. A psychologist will study psychology from the day one and certainly through all of their graduate studies. Um, My training was nine years. Um, And then I will study psychopharmacology and medication um, along the way, but not with the intent or the ability or the certification or licensure to prescribe. So I do not write prescriptions and do not manage medication. But a psychiatrist would. And normally the psychiatrist would. I know a few that do not. And our play therapists, for example. Hmm. Um, um, And uh, so a lot of people that I see who need medication, and about three-quarters are on medication, Um, I work very closely with the area physicians who I think do the best in prescribing unless it's a dual diagnosis or very complex issue. And then the psychiatrist needs to really be the one to do that. But usually uh, the primary medical providers, I don't know what you guys think about that, but do a really good job on um, medication for kids and standard depression medicine and standard um, anxiety medicine. But when you get bipolar, ADHD, and this other thing together, you really need to have psychiatry help um, to, to manage that because the medicines have a lot of effects on each other. So that, yes. that is one of the... Go ahead now. Is, is that because of the, the interaction of not just the, the soul or the mind, but the body? There's, there's a connection there between the, the physical and the metaphysical where uh, therapy and counseling affects both, but it's addressed more to one where medication can help balance the, the physical? Yeah, it's, you know, if, you, if we were meeting 100 years ago, there would be no difference between who you went to see for your knee problems and who you went to see to have some counseling. Um, in the old days, you had your, your shaman or, or your, your pastor. We are a holistic being. It's just been that we have now so much information to learn that we now it can't, we don't have the time to learn it all, so we specialize. So now you have this and you have that. And so you, if you go to your physician, they're going to say, hmm, 
oh, you have a liver problem, I'm going to send you to the liver doctor. You have psychiatry issue, I'm going to send you down the road there. If you have a foot problems down there. So it really is fragmented. It doesn't mean that we are less whole. It just means that right now the, the, the way that we practice is, is very divided and very individualistic. Um, there's attempts to be more um, like one-stop shop, but it's not working very well, and there's very poor integration. Um, we're not there quite yet, but we are one spiritual, physical, um, you know, and psychological being. Um, it's just how, we're, how they deal with us can be very frustrating and keep us busy going to different appointments. Now, if, if I can add yeah. to that just a little bit, I think to your point too, um, that um, sometimes you know, there, there is a chemical component and um, what is like a chemical imbalance that we would say that is going on um, in the body and that can be caused by all kinds of different things. And sometimes it's sort of like a light switch. There may be some predispositions there for it, be it genetic or otherwise, um, and some life event or trauma sort of switches that on. Um, and so then medications can really be helpful in conjunctions with the therapy um, just to even get to a baseline where the therapy becomes helpful. Um, so it's not particularly the answer, but it's a tool to, to help along the way. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's two of the, the questions have been submitted are related to you know, what is your opinion then on the, on the implications that a mental health uh, issue is likely a spiritual or versus a medical. Like, so how do we, how do we navigate what may be a false dichotomy there? You know, but it, but it is what it is in the general cultural conversation. So how do we, how might we better, better navigate that uh, relationship between spiritual and medical? Um, what thoughts might you have? That's a heavy question. That's a big one. I'm not sure if I'll answer all parts of that, but I think, um, I enjoy getting referrals from uh, doctors who know I'm a Christian. They know I'm a psychologist. They know I don't write prescriptions, but I can work with them. Um, You have to approach the holistic mind. These things are words, right? But when somebody comes in and you sit in front of that individual who has their mix of understanding, you you go to where they are. You you do the best that you can to uh, coordinate services if you're aware that they they need something beyond where you are. Or in addition, uh, you know, frequently we'll be sending them down the road also. Um, and we're we're required, really required to do that. If, for example, we're a Medicaid provider, we uh, just had an audit the other day. Um, it's very fresh in my mind. We have to make sure that we document that we have, um, you know, really work with the physician, um, the school if it's a child, um, you know, uh, that we're uniting uh, services for that individual. So we do the best we can to make it holistic for them, even though we can't provide everything to them. So there's, I want to I want to stay on this medical one for just another second, maybe. But then, very related question is was just submitted in the other section too. But how 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 would be the what's the best case scenario for um, diagnosing when it when there is a f- biological physiological component to mental health? So are you are you asking how? Like what the difference would be, like how you would know yeah. to diagnose it, yeah. or okay, I just want to make sure I was understanding. Um, so we use, um, I think you mentioned this earlier, like or maybe not here, but um, the DSM is sort of the 
the Bible of the mental health world, quote unquote. unquote. Um, And so essentially, if someone comes in, and that might be a big difference, as we mentioned before, in the licensure is that oftentimes there's going to be a diagnosis, especially if you're wanting the insurance to pay for it. Um, And so you basically go by their guidelines of if you come in and you have symptoms of depression and what looks like depression, then we ask certain questions during the assessment. There's also different tools that we can use, um, PHQ-9 and things like that, that will help sort of narrow that down. Um, And then you would be able to get to that. But I, I think to David's point as well, looking at it from a holistic perspective, even if there is a diagnosis, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's, it's not, spiritual and emotional and environmental and right. So I don't, I don't think it's as cut and dry as one or the other. Yep. I think, I think in some, in some ways it is always both because we are embodied beings. Yes. Like our mental state affects our body and our physical state affects our mentality. Mm -hmm. So the related question that was just uh, submitted in in another space is what, what does it even mean to be mentally healthy? How might we define that? What is what does mental health look like? In order to understand the contrast, how do we define mental health and being mentally healthy? <laughs> oh, that's okay. the fun part when the live questions okay. come in. <laughs> All right. So if you if you um, try to diagnose, what was that? Okay. Well, if you try to diagnose, you're you're presuming that there is some level of relativity where somebody is in the in the mix if you're statistically somewhere near the middle you would be statistically or scientifically n- normal in the normal range when you move outside of that then you begin to have symptoms that are significant enough to to approach and be treated a lot of people are not aware that they're there, right? Or you might have somebody who says, well, yeah, I drink, um, you know, a quart of alcohol a night, but I go to work the next morning, right? So um, within the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, you'll have um, several um, aspects of a diagnosis that you might need to meet three out of the, the five or four out of the six, eight of the ten, and then you go on to B, and you got to meet three of, of those eight. Um, but the last few are letters, and one of them is it must suggest and um, demonstrate um, a significant problem in your life, right? right? And, and so uh, a lot of that normal, you know, abnormal kind of talk is based on statistically where you are. And by yeah. the way, that's changed over the years. We've doubled the amount of mental disorders um, in the last 80 years, doubled them. Doesn't mean that necessarily things are new, but our understanding of it, attention deficit disorder, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, has changed five times. And we're still calling it ADD, even though that diagnosis changed nearly 30 years ago. Okay, we're still writing books that say ADD on it. So there's a lot of confusion out there about sure. where things are and what's normal, right? Well, I'd say you know maybe that that even I think helps identify some of the in, inherent assumptions and part of the problem, even with not with the question, but with what does it mean to be mentally healthy? Well, okay, what's normal? Right. And, and we're even seeing that that's that shifting. Yeah. And I think as we, you know, struggle through 
like even trying to define that, it, it can just pose other other problems. Yeah, yeah, and, and and how we view and how I view myself. Well, I, I don't feel normal. Well, how do I know what normal is? Well, normal, I guess, is you. You seem normal, right? <laughs> and so, and and I begin to gauge. I begin to gauge my norm normality off of what can seem to be kind of a moving target. Yep. And I think culturally, it is co- exactly a moving yeah. target. And so, so again, not to. I, I don't want to set up like all these tensions and. Uh, Unnecessary conflicts, but I think that that can be one of the problems as you know medical research evolves or our definitions evolve. The DSM, you know, where we're in number five mm-hmm. right now uh, over the last number of years. But as things get added, it's like, okay, what is our what's our plumb line? You know, how how do we know? And I think that's where, <clears throat> as believers, if we use language that the Bible uses. Mm-hmm. That is consistent. That's been, you know, kind of weathered the test of time. I think that's where we can find some help of um, in in trying to to make sense of some of this. Right. Of what what is what is mentally healthy? And, and again, the world's going to define this in a different way than we as believers would define this. Exactly. So I think we need to, as a as the church and as our local church, need to define mentally healthy in terms of the norm that norms all norms. Yeah. That's Jesus. And so yeah. the it, most full human, the perfect human, yeah. is going to manifest for us what what mental health looks like. And that means we never cry. Oh, nope, just kidding. Uh, that means we're going to grieve with those who grieve. Yeah. We're going to mourn with those who mourn. And so that when we look at Jesus as as the actual person uh, manifesting you know, full humanity, we will see mental health in, yeah. in those examples. Um, and we have to re- remember that, go back to that. Uh, because otherwise, yeah, we're in a constant rotating comparison game that is going to be a moving target and going to cause its own kinds of anxieties. Um, so I think that as, as Sunday school of an answer as that is, uh, Jesus. But I think it's a great one. Is, yep, is, is mental health. So um, this question is more for, I guess, uh, Jamie and David. Does your faith ever come into conflict with your licensing board or the code of ethics as it's defined? Um, <laughs> yes and yes. Um, and this is, I've, I feel like personally it's getting harder and harder um, in, in recent um, months and years even. Um, in fact, I was just in not too long ago talking to um, some of these fine people about that. Um, but yes, I mean, it. it there's things that... Um, and our, our licensing board and our ethics code um, for for LMFTs, we're allowed to refer out if we don't feel like we're the best fit for someone. Um, a lot of, and I don't know how what your interpretation of this for the LPCs, but a lot of what I'm hearing is that um, that's closing in and getting more and more narrow. That even if you feel like you're not a good fit, um, if it's seen as discrimination, then then you can't refer out. Like you then have you to. can't refer out. You have to treat. Mm. Um, and so our board has not come that that hard line yet. And I'm hoping they don't, but there's definitely, it seems like pull in that. Um, so I, I guess it's, and I don't know which direction this question was heading with that. Maybe that's one extreme, but is it um, state to state licensure? Is that what 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's a licensing board in each state and there is um, reciprocity between states depending, but there might be more requirements and things like that. Um, but then generally there's a association that goes above those. So for us, it's the double AMFT, um, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, which is who um, comes up with our ethics code. And the licensing okay. board just makes sure that we are adhering to it. So... The APA is an American Psychological Association. They put their nose into everything that you see comes out in the news. They have their opinions. They make their statements. And then they expect all psychologists to back all that up. And I have I've spoken to my wife about that. I don't know how much longer I can go. Um, I'm concerned about that. But I'm a Christian. And I'm going to be a Christian long after I'm a psychologist. So I'm waiting for a challenge, you know? There, there are times where somebody may call me and say, I'm doing this behavior and I wanna know that it's okay. I wanna be helped to get okay with this. And in my heart and in my mind and my faith tells me it's not okay. And I have to have a way that I can handle that. And, and my way is I have to work within my system. So if I'm told, no, you shouldn't refer somebody out because you have a problem with them. But yet the ethics on the other side tells me if you have a problem with them, don't you get in the room with them and, and act like you don't. That's unethical. It's unethical to practice outside your, your, your mode of training and uh, your expertise. So uh, I get out of it frequently by saying, hey, you know, it's not within my scope of practice. Here's somebody, and it is my responsibility to know who I can send them to if I get to that point. And so there's many times where I say, hey, here's a counselor who I think would be a better fit or a therapist that is a better fit for you. Um, please go see them. I've even had somebody call back a friend of that person to maybe check to see if they were getting the shaft from me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are they going to get a consistent answer from me? So more and more we're being pushed by our ethics uh, boards and our licensure boards that have to, you know, back that. We have state ethics. Um, we have national ethics. So the APA, and I also have the North Carolina Psychology Board. And then I have to swim in between that and the, the LPC ethics because I'm duly licensed. And LPA, or the APA is a little bit, it's the, it's the real big dog, and, and it's one of the standards. It, it's really unreasonable. They believe that we should all be liberal and very liberal-minded and frankly non-Christian. And uh, I just, I'm waiting for a challenge. Hmm. It just hasn't happened yet. Where's some wood to knock on? Yeah. <laughs> I think I will. I will say, and again, I don't know where this question was heading that direction, but that's definitely where where I went with it. But I have had a client that came in. It was a couple. They were living together, um, and they just flat out asked me before I even had a chance because usually I disclose it. Um, it's also part of our self disclosure is in our waiting room as well. We have Christian music playing. We sort of do it Chick Fil A style, so it's just the um, <laughs> just the melodies and stuff is not the words. Um, but we have had clients comment that like, hey, you know, I, I recognized you guys were Christian because I heard your songs. Um, and we give out free free um, resources as well, like the Case for Christ and things like that in our waiting room. So it's definitely there. But this couple just came straight out and said, are you a Christian? And I said, 
yes, I am, you know, and it, it definitely influences my worldview, but I kind of went through my spiel and um, I said, is that a problem? And they said, well, normally we don't like Christians, but I think we're going to like you, so we're going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go with that. <laughs> so, so, yes, it comes up in, in many different um, contexts, but the licensure piece is definitely a big piece, and I think... Uh, a lot of colleagues in that area, we all are kind of feeling that similar sense of, okay, when's enough going to be enough that we're going to have to say it's not worth the license because we yeah. can't continue to practice and, and do both. Well, we still have at least three good questions that have been submitted and then a couple questions that Neil and I had thought about too. So I'm probably going to do a supplemental podcast with uh, these folks. Uh, and so if you have any more questions that you think would be great to address in that space that you could then listen to while you're mowing the grass since it's growing in the winter, or if you want to do while you're driving, um, please submit those to either gracematters at graceccnc.org or to any of us individually, uh, me or Neil or any of us, and we can uh, get those talked about. Um, a parting one that we do want to make sure we hit is, uh, and this is for all three of you, what if one of us is, uh, you know, bearing the weight of a significant, um, what we feel like is an issue or a disorder, what are the questions we should ask of someone that we would then go to for counsel or therapy? What kind of things should we ask to identify somebody who is going to be gospel-centered and walk with us through something? I can go first. Uh, I think, you know, it, is, if I was looking for someone... Um, I'd want to know, you know, what do they believe about the gospel? Uh, would be one of my first questions. I'd want, I'd want to know, what does this person believe about the nature of my problem? You know, not necessarily is it, is it all me? Is it sin? But what, what are they? How, how do they see the world, and how do they respond to the world around them? And I think, what do they view is really causes true change in someone? Is it, is it up to me? We'll just go out and do better and, you know, make a list of all the things you can do to bless other people. Or is it, no, you need a work of the Spirit in your life. Because cause that question kind of surfaces the issue of well, what are my problems? You know, are they, are they heart problems? Or is it just they want to manage my behavior? And, and that, that's, the, that's the main goal. Because I don't think that's ever really, that's not the heart of the gospel. It's not just managing my behavior. Um, and I think again, how do, what do they view? What's their view on the sufficiency of Scripture? You know, do they really believe that, you know, Second Peter one three that He's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness? Like it, it really is Scripture sufficient. You know, Second Timothy three, it's God breathed, it's sufficient for training, for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, um, so that the person of God can be fully equipped. Um, so I, I think that that's what I would that's what I would be asking is are, are those questions. Um, yes, and just to maybe add a couple things, I think that's a pretty good a pretty good list. Um, uh, some of it would depend on what you're going for, right? I mean, obviously, I think if you're going for couples counseling. Um, or for family therapy or for child therapy or play therapy, you would want maybe to get a little bit more specifics from that therapist on how they work with those populations or those issues, what their experiences, their training, et cetera, et cetera. But from a, a biblical perspective, um, you know, absolutely. Like, what do, you, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you, what is your, how does your faith influence your treatment and how does it influence your therapy? What can I expect in a session? You know, how is it going to be integrated? What does that look like? 
um, you know, I would, I would want to concretely sort of get an idea of, you know, do they have a general belief in God and a general belief in Jesus, but, and they call themselves a Christian, but really they're not very engaged in their church or they're not following very closely. Yeah. Then that's going to look a lot different than someone who is and who is, you know, referencing um, scripture and believing that scripture is going to provide. Um, you mentioned the confidentiality thing. So it may be helpful for someone going into a licensed setting to ask, you know, what forms might I need to fill out so that my pastor or my home group leader or someone who's in discipleship with me can be aware of the things that we talk about. Are there any things we need to clarify for that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. I'm just, just asking that in the beginning and most therapists will ask in the beginning, like, you know, support groups and things like that. And, um, are there people that you want to be part of your treatment? Um, we try to pull in as many people as possible in a systems theory kind of um, perspective. So yeah, but you would just need to sign a release and your therapist can talk to anyone that you'd want them to talk to. Any other questions you think someone should ask, David? I I think that I agree with everything that, that has been brought up. I think it's a very specific thing too. And you need to know what your needs are. Think about your needs before you talk to somebody who you may be seeking uh, treatment from. There's some very practical things. How much does it cost? That's one of the biggest worries that people have before they call. You know, do you do you have or do you take insurance? What is available if I don't? Um, are there payment plans? So there's some practical things like that. What are your hours, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have a male or female therapist if that's important? And I always ask also why they think that they need one or the other. And, and most of the time, the one that they say they want, they need the other one because they have a need to heal from some wounding that has made them answer the way they have. Um, hmm. The only exception for that would be somebody who's very recently been, for example, abused in certain ways by one side. They probably need a similar, uh, same, not similar, <laughs> same, same gendered therapist uh, to do. Uh, see, I'm influenced by all the <laughs> trends out there. Um, but they need the same gendered person in the beginning in that very specific case. But then other practical things. What's your training? What's your license? Uh, hey, if, do you have any... Um, and you can ask this. Don't be afraid. Any ethic, ethical problems, any complaints, you can also go out online and look the therapist up to see if there is any. All right? You should do that. Are there Yelp reviews for you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> there's, look, there's more things about me written by somebody who's never seen me and never known me, uh, not my website or anything. Just all those little companies that put things out that they think they know you. Right. Um, but uh, they don't. Hmm. They have nothing to, to do with us. But um, health grades would be an example of that. Mm-hmm. That They have no clue of who I am, but they, they say who I am out there. So you have to be careful. I would not go by those um, online. I would call and speak to that therapist. If you yeah. call and the therapist won't take time to speak to you, you'll you have an indication of what may happen. Yeah. And yes, don't be afraid to say, um, can I receive um, faith-based, Christian-based counseling there, psychotherapy there. Don't be afraid to say that. Um, and they'll, yeah. they'll be honest with you. What you don't want to hear if you ask that question and they say, oh, whatever you got, you can bring in, all right? One size does not fit all. There was a therapist who came uh, to be hired by me once, and I have to ask certain things, some, sometimes politically correct. I said, you know, we have a lot of people that are going to be coming in who have faith and want their, their faith brought in to their treatment. How are you with that? 
And she said, it doesn't matter to me if they worship a rock. I can use that. She didn't work for me. <laughs> so ask, ask those questions. But uh, I will leave you to this, that God saw a way uh, to work with Bellum, who he was very mad about, all right? Um, he was on his donkey, and he was riding, all right? And he was going to go and do the things he was supposed to do, but he didn't have it in his mind and in his, his heart why he was going to do them. God was not happy with that, and he attempted. Uh, he put angels of the Lord in the pathway, and he didn't see them, but his donkey did, all right? And so his donkey sort of began to veer off. Bellum beat him, right? And he kept going, and he saw another angel of the Lord in front of him. All right, the donkey did, all right? These angels of the Lord were not like, come on, come on. They were like, stop. And so he scratched him up against, you know, um, the wall, the passageway in front. And he was beaten for it again. And um, finally, a third time, the donkey just sort of laid down, underneath Bellum, right? And you can imagine, Bellum is beating the donkey, right? Right? And, um, and so the animal answers back, like, why do you beat me like this? <laughs> Haven't I been your friend? Haven't I been your donkey all this time and taken you where you wanted to go? What have I done? Right? That's my donkey, right? <laughs> um, and um, so when you ask, like, oh, my gosh, God must be here. This donkey is talking. But instead, he's, he's talking to the donkey like he's just another person. And then God opened his eyes, right? And he became aware that the path he was going down wasn't, was maybe the right road, but for the wrong reasons, right? So if God can speak through an ass in the Old Testament... He can speak through us <laughs> sometimes too, right? So uh, anyway, wanted to leave you with that. That's good. Uh, <laughs> we do have uh, it's good to some resources that uh, Ben shared a list of things that kind of give a perspective of biblical counseling in particular, um, including some works from Jay Adams and Paul Tripp and David Pallison, all of whom um, are trusted resources for all of us on staff here at Grace as well. So um, this list will be made available as a PDF on the Grace website, as long as, as well as this podcast once I get it edited. Um, there's also a list of resources that uh, Neil has compiled, including a uh, book by Ed Welch and one by R.C. Sproul. Uh, and then we always want to be aware of you know those who make any indication of, of wanting to take their own lives. And so being aware of the suicide prevention hotline and how to be in touch with people who can provide care quickly. Um, as I mentioned, if you have any more questions, you feel like we could get into more or you want to hear any particular stories from any of these folks, um, I'll be following up with them to do some supplemental conversations. It'll be on the Grace Matters podcast, which is currently through the website only, but will be available on Apple Podcasts sometime soon whenever they get around to clearing it. Um, but Neil, do you have any parting thoughts? I think there's certainly more questions, more that can and, and should be said. So I hope um, you do revisit uh, the podcast uh, for more conversation. <clears throat> These uh, resources, uh, again, it's, it's incredible to me that just in the last six months or so since this has kind of been forefront in my mind, that everywhere I turn, every ministry I look at has put out resources very recently. So if you want a, a web article, if you want a podcast, if you want a book, 
there are resources available. So come, come see me. Come see any of us here, um, any of the elders. We want, we want to see you cared for, um, and that begins and ends in Christ. Um, so I think with that, he is who we need to focus on, and he is who we will go to prayer for, prayer to right now. Our Father, thank you that um, you have created us and you know us. You know us even when we don't even know how we're put together, how we operate or how we should operate. But yet you have provided all that is necessary. Thank you for our time this evening. I pray that it is useful to those who hear. Help us to walk more closely, more fervently with you, um, our Savior. So take us here from here, Lord, uh, safely, not only physically, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Help us to be lights to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any further questions that you'd like to ask of David, Jamie, Ben, Neil, or me, David, then please send those questions to gracematters at graceccnc.org. And please feel free to share this podcast with anyone who you think would benefit. We would love to continue to remove the stigma of what it means to pursue mental health, especially as a Christian. And we'd love to continue to clarify and define terms so that people can have conversations with understanding and can indeed pursue health. Again, if you have any questions, send us an email. Uh, look for the supplemental podcasts as they come out over the next couple months. And our next Grace Matters panel in person will be in April of 2020. Thanks again for listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.